well, I've got to get going here now. Um, it's Friday. It's Good Friday. Uh, for some of you, perhaps, who are not churchy, like I'm not either, uh, Good Friday is once a year the church worldwide especially remembers the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And uh, many churches do it every Sunday because they have Holy Communion every Sunday and you remember the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's what we do in our church too. So it's not like this is the only time. But it's a special day because it's once a year, it's around the globe, and already we're at the tail end. Hawaii is the end of the end. Uh, that, uh, you know, by, by now, everybody, East, Europe, Middle East, they're already in bed while we're just starting out to celebrate. So the church worldwide has basically already been thinking about Jesus Christ. So tonight, I'm going to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ because it's the center of everything. That's what distinguishes Christianity from everything else. And we'll, we'll learn a little bit about it as we go along this evening. But, uh, you know, the cross is so important. By the way, just so you know, I, my voice is sounding awful. And you're going to say, oh, poor old man, thank you. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I got lung cancer about, four, well, I don't know when I got it, but they found it last December, three days before Christmas. What a gift, huh? Uh -huh. The 22nd of December. So I go see the doctor, because, just so you know, because you're going to be wondering, what's he quivering about? And uh, so I go for a cold. He takes an x-ray, and he says to me, uh, hey, Luis, I'm sorry to tell you, but there's a spot. It doesn't look good. So we went the next week, right after Christmas, celebrating the New Year. I go see the doctor, and he was very blunt. And he said to me, yes, it's terminal cancer, stage four. I said, where did stage one, two, and three go? You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody warned me that. It was, yeah, so he said, well, who knows? Yeah, thanks. That's what you go 10 years to medical school to figure that one out, right? So, uh, no, I didn't say that. I thought about it. And uh, so anyway, he says to me, uh, there's no cure. I said, surgery? He said, surgery won't work. Nothing. So I said, how many, how many months have I got? And he said, well, depends what you do. If you do chemotherapy, uh, you'll probably live nine to 12 months. You probably won't make it next Christmas. Thank you very much. That's exciting. And uh, so then I said, and if I don't do it, he said, you'll die in four months. So, okay, I made the decision. I, I kind of didn't like he was so blunt. I said, I want to talk to another doctor, a woman. She was much nicer. But, uh, <laughs> Much nicer, but she said the same thing, you know. So, but with, with tenderness and kindness and all that. Anyway, so that's why I'm trembling, because my breathing isn't good, my left lung not too good. Just two, two months ago, they took away two liters of liquid, I call it, whatever it is, you know. Uh, and, and so this week, I'll probably get a, another bunch taken out. So you never know, this may be the first and last time that I get to preach to you in this church. Now, if the Lord chooses to heal me, I'll be back if the Lord Josh wants me to. Otherwise, I won't, but you know. So that's why I'm a little quivering. It's just the, the cancer and old age. Don't kid yourself, I'm 84. But I like young people, even though I don't look like one, and I'm not one. But when I get to heaven, I'll be younger than you guys. So there you go. Yes, sir. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to read two passages 
from the Bible about the cross of Jesus Christ. There's so much we have to limit it, okay? So if you've got a Bible, uh, Matthew 27, uh, let's read, uh, I wrote it down so I won't forget. Uh, Matthew 27, 1144, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So 11, 27 from verse 11 to 4. Listen carefully because it's so important that the Son of God who went to the cross to die for us, as the worship songs said a few minutes ago, to break us and get us to know God for ourselves. So let's listen to the Word of God in Matthew 27, beginning with verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it's as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the thief, chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony that they're bringing against you? And Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom to, uh, on the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one of the two do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. And they all said, Barabbas, Barabbas. What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They said, crucify him. Why, said the governor, what crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, and he, he, uh, he saw that an uproar upper was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now listen to these few little verses that are coming up. It is so touching that when I read it, I often start crying. Lately, I've become a crybaby, I must admit. Uh, everything makes me cry. I look at young people, I cry. Not because you're young. I hope they marry well, you know. So I become a crybaby, but it's not the worst thing. You know, it's, uh, okay, listen to what it says. This is very touching when you think that this is the Son of God who created each one of us in our mother's womb. Uh-huh. Biologically, yes. Dad and mom did whatever they do to have a baby. Boom, boom. And nine months later, you pop out, you know. Uh, but uh, this is the one who made you in your mother's womb. Me in my mother's womb. And look at the way they treated him. And in a sense, we did too, as one of the songs in intimated, because our sins put Jesus on the cross. 
So here, listen to what the soldiers did to the blessed Savior. Then the governor, governor's soldiers, took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it down on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe again, put on his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to crucify him. Just think of that. Huh? This is the Son of God, born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, holy, perfect, almighty. He chooses to become a human to rescue you and me and millions of others from eternal condemnation. And look at the way they treated him. Uh, there's a more, more contemporary song that says about Jesus, like a rose trampled on the ground. And we often forget that what happened to Jesus on the cross was because of our sinfulness. And then the other passage I want to read, I hope it doesn't bother you, but even if it does, I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, but uh, Luke chapter 23, okay? Verses 32 to 43, the two thieves who were crucified with Jesus. And it's important to get the story of these two who were next to the Lord. Here we go. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written above him on the cross a sign that said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, here comes, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God. Now, you know, the cross of Christ has so many angles to it that you're going to need your pastors to teach it several Sundays in a row. But I'll try and push as much as I can on you on this one night that I have with you. The first thing I noticed from reading the Bible for years is that the cross, as we just read it, and there's so many other passages, the cross is a revelation of the character of God. 
If you think about it, I made a few notes to myself. On the cross, you get the picture of the love of God. When you see the Son of God being crucified, not saying a word, he answered a few questions, but he didn't defend himself. He kept quiet. Uh, secondly, it's a revelation of the mercy of God. Once, when one of the dis disciples took out a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and chopped a hair, a, a, an ear from one of the soldiers, the Lord said, put that sword away. Don't you think I could call 120,000 angels and blow these little boogers out? Well, he, he didn't use that word. But I mean, you know, that's what he meant, you know. I could call 120,000 angels, they'd be dead right now. So he made him put his sword away. That was the mercy of Jesus Christ. And then the character of God, the compassion. I mean, you know, when the two thieves are there, they both insulted Christ. Then one of them repented. Yeah, and then he says, remember me, he, he's about to die. So now he's panicking, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. If it had been me and you, we might have said, you dirty little swine, you've been a thief and a criminal, and now just before you kick the bucket, you want me to forgive you? No, go to hell, that's where you belong. You know, that's probably what many of us would have thought, but not Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, that's the mercy of God. Many people have a hard time thinking, they think, well, if a person is good, then God will be good to them. But if they're troublemakers and killers and drug pushers and whatever bothers you, uh, you say, to hell with them. They deserve it. There has to be a hell for Hitler and for, what well, does Russian guy, whatever. You know, there's lots of them who deserve hell. They murdered people, but nice people like me from Oregon, all I do is have beer made in Portland, nothing too bad with that. You know, I'm just an Oregonian, a nice Oregonian. So Lord will be good to me. But no, God has mercy on every one of us. And then also the patience of God. Think of Jesus Christ. He could have said to 120,000 angels, get these guys. And the angels would have gone boom, and they would be disappeared from planet Earth. You know, but he didn't. The, the mercy of God, the patience of God, but also the justice of God. You don't mess with God. You know, in Texas, they have a bumper sticker that says, don't mess with Texas. Well, don't mess with God either, because God is a loving God and a kind God and a patient God and a merciful God, but he's also just. There's a lot of talk about justice in America these days. Justice, justice, good. Justice is good. But if God was only just, we'd all be in hell because we deserve to be condemned by our rebellion, by our pride, by our self-justification, by looking down on others, by thinking ourselves superior even to God in many cases. So the second thing the cross reveals is this. It reveals the nature of human sin. Think of it. This is Jesus, the creator. Some of you have read the Bible and you know, he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he took care of widows. He protected young children. He blessed them. He loved them. He was good to people who were angry and ugly. And yet, what do we do with him? Crucify him. Crucify him. And he allowed a few leaders, the crowd allowed a few leaders to condemn the Lord Jesus Christ. So it reveals how bad sin really is. Uh, sin is an insult to our creator. God made us to love him. And we just spit in his face. And we say, yeah, fooey, I don't give a rip what you think. I'm going to do what I want. Sin also hurts other people, especially those we love the most. 
We get angry, we swear, we frighten people. How many people, because of sin, uh, have a, a miserable life? And so it reveals itself on the cross. The cross also reveals the arrogance of human nature and of sin. You know, when somebody, because he's an Oxford professor in England, feels that he has a right to mock those who believe in Jesus Christ and to mock God and to mock all that has to do with God, that's arrogance. I'm God, not you. There is no God up there. I'm God because I teach at Oxford. Yeah, good, good boy, good boy. Some of them are finding out a little too late that there's more to it than that. But nevertheless, and then the third thing, and I'm hurrying along here, is that the cross reveals the way to find peace with God. If you're here tonight, I see many of you, I look at your faces, I don't know who you are, I've only met about six or seven, and I can't remember their names anymore, and, uh, but there they are. I look at your faces, and I think, I wonder what that guy is really thinking. I wonder what you're reacting to what we read. I wonder how you feel. And then some of you, you look intense enough like, I think you're saying, tell me, tell me, I want to have peace with God. I want to know him. And is the cross the way to meet him? Absolutely. Because at the cross, you can be forgiven. At the cross, you can be cleansed. At the cross, you can begin life all over again. Start from scratch, like the past is gone forever. So those three major things are good reason why we should talk about talk about the cross, because it reveals the character of God, because it reveals the character of human sin, and because it shows you have to have peace with God. And if you're looking for peace with God in the next few minutes, well, not so few, but yeah, a few minutes, I want to lead you to open your heart to Christ and to come, so to speak, to the cross of Jesus Christ and to come to him and say, Lord, I don't know enough about you, but I do want to know you, and I want to be at peace with you. So, you know, why did he go to the cross? There are three major statements he made, and I want to clarify them and then give you an invitation. If you've never been reconciled to God, tonight is the night. And what, a, what a way to begin a, a, a new church building with some of you young people and old-timers too, finding peace with God and beginning life all over again. Now, pardon me for doing this. You shouldn't do it they say preachers should never drink liquids in front of people because the people are thirsty and they think, where's my water, you know? <laughs> but if I don't drink it, I'm done. Uh, the chemotherapy makes you very thirsty. Don't get chemotherapy. <laughs> it's embarrassing, but it has to be done. Anyway, there are three groups of people I'm thinking. Jesus said, the Son of Man was sent to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. To heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. You may think, well, brokenhearted, maybe an old man like you, Louis, but I'm young, I'm full of life. But you know, I know a couple who called up on a Sunday morning, on Sunday, maybe Saturday, and said, our son, 19, just tried to take his life. The police came, first responders came. They took him quickly to the hospital. Would you consider going as soon as possible to pray with him? 19, beautiful kid. I've known him 
nice parents, but he tried to take his life. Somehow, he was desperate enough, and he left a little note that said, I'm a burden to you, mom and dad. I'm no use. I better get out of your way. That's better than being here. Thankfully, they were able to save his life, and now he's so much better, I don't think he's going to try it again. But that's desperation. I think of another couple, 44 the guy, 40 the woman, married 16, 18 years, and one day the wife says to him, out, I want you gone, you're boring, you talk too much, you shout during football matches, and I can't stand it. So get lost and leave. I, we can't live together anymore. Two boys, nine and four. So the fellow said, I gotta tell my boys what my wife just said, that I gotta leave and get divorced. So with the, to my wife and I, would you take care of the boys? I'll take them one by one to tell them what happened. The oldest one is very bright, and he took him, and uh, took him out. We took care of the little guy while he went off. And when he came back, he told us what happened. He was sobbing to say, I gotta leave the boys behind. And uh, he cried, and the boy put his arm around his dad and said, it's all right, dad, don't cry. It's gonna be all right, it's gonna be all right. A nine-year-old comforting his own dad. You talk out of a broken heart that needs to be healed and that needs to be bound. And then after they talked a little while and had a little prayer, the boy said to him, Dad, when you and mom get divorced, are you going to marry another lady? Imagine a nine-year-old boy asking his dad, are you gonna marry another lady? He promised not to do it till he went to college and his younger brother went to college. And he's keeping his promise. It's about five years now. But you know, a little boy, a little boy, nine years old, thinking about, will my dad marry another lady? You talk about broken hearts. And then I take one other one. We're having a TV program in El Paso, Texas. People would call in and they ask questions. And one day I answered something about gangs. And uh, a boy called up, a voice, sounded like a girl, but it turned out to be a boy. He was 12 years old. He hadn't changed yet. And uh, <laughs> so he said, hello, Mr. Palau. You were talking about gangs and beating up people and pushing drugs. I belong to a gang, but we don't beat up people and we don't de deal drugs. And so I said, uh, uh, where, where's, your, where's your gang? And he said, in, in uh, uh, well, he told me, I won't tell you. So he said, and I said, what do you call the gang? And he said, we call it the fatherless gang. I said, why? He said, because we're a bunch of boys in junior high and high school, and the bullies always mess around with us because we don't have a dad. So we formed a gang to protect ourselves. And I said, how many boys are there in your gang? He said, about 400. Man, that's a good gang, huh? I mean, the bullies will think twice about going after uh, uh, more, in, but, but you don't think about that. 400 boys, well, it was Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm telling you because I just remembered. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, 400 boys without a dad. Well, there was a dad somewhere because babies don't come out from, you know, uh, so there was somewhere, but they weren't at home with the boys. 
think what a broken heart. And then some of you have other things. You're young, but you also know what breaks your heart. And you know, Jesus Christ went to the cross where he was uh, suffered. And you know, for a, a few hours, in the mystery of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Father abandoned Jesus. And you know why? Because he was taking on himself all our guilt, all our sin, all our conscience problems, all the rotten things we've thought, all the nasty things we've said, all the wicked things we've done. The Bible says, God laid on him the sins of us all. And you know, when he says, the Son of Man came to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds, bind up their wounds, he means you. If you're here tonight and you have a broken heart and you know what your case is, Jesus Christ knows you and he loves you and he wants you. And that's why he went to the cross. He went to take on himself. He wasn't sent by the Father, although the Father was involved, of course, because God is three in one. But he chose to go. He said, here I am. In the book it is written about me that he brought his body to die on the cross. He did it for you. He did it for me. You and I didn't, weren't there 2,000 years ago to insult him and whip him and spit on him and slap him around and treat him like an animal. But in a sense, we were there because all our sins were laid on him by God the Father. And you know, my dear friends, he's here tonight because he rose again on Sunday. You're going to celebrate his resurrection. He's alive tonight. That's why you sang happy and you cheered and you clapped, at least many of you, and you were rejoicing because Jesus is not dead. He died, he was buried, but on the third day, boom, he was out of there. And he rose from the dead and he's alive and he will come into your life and he will bind your broken heart, whatever it may be. Now, what does it mean he, he will bind your broken heart? First, he will heal your broken heart by forgiving you your own guilty conscience and then by helping you to forgive others the nasty things they've done against you. But the first step is to meet God at the cross of Jesus Christ. You notice what Jesus Christ said? I'm sure you know it, but we read it again. Father, he said, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. Isn't that merciful? And the Lord says to you tonight, Listen, I died for you on the cross. And you know what the Bible says? He knows his own by name. He knows your name. He knows my name. Louis Balouis, that's my name. Uh -huh. What's your name? He knows you by name. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I separated you. I gave you a message to the nations. God has his eye on you. He's known you by name even before you came out of your mother's womb. He's known you before you became a known human. He knew you. And he says, your name is sculptured on the palm of my hand. Your name is in the palm. It means he knows your name every day. He loves you and he's calling you. And tonight he says, my child, my boy, my girl, come. I love you. 
I will forgive you. I will heal your broken heart. I will bind the wounds that you carry. And you know, when you do that, I'm, I'm 84 now. I've met thousands of people whose lives have been changed. Some teenagers, some middle-aged, some old-timers. But all of them <coughs> get very excited when they hear the name of Jesus Christ because their lives were so revolutionized. And when you meet God the Son, yesterday I was interviewed by Channel 8. It's going to show up on May 16. I'm sure you're going to be desperate to watch it. And uh, so the, the guy said to me, why do you try to help people ever since you were a teenager? I said, because they suffer so much. I look at people, how they suffer. And he said, where did you get that feeling? I said, when my dad died, <coughs> and I was only 10 years old, and he died suddenly. He got sick. He was only 34 years old. I was a 10-year-old boy, and he was gone. And I love my dad. In fact, you know, when you're a kid, you imagine your dad to be perfect. I can't think of a bad thing my father ever did. I'm sure Jesus knows he had to die for him. But uh, I don't. And, but I always had a broken heart. And I always feel a passion for those who are hurting. And in the world, there's troubles. And everybody has them. But you know the good thing that the Lord says on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So you know how God heals you? First, it will start for you tonight. If you've never opened your heart to Christ, He will come into your life. And the first thing He'll do, because of the cross, listen to this, the Bible says it, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, purifies from all sin. All sin, all sin. And you know when it says all in the Greek what it means? It means all. That's what it means. Yeah. It means all. And he's not fooling around when he says to you, I will forgive you all your sins. And nobody else hopefully knows all your sins. But you know them. And he knows them. He'll forgive you. And then the Bible says, forgive as you have been forgiven by God the Father. And you know when you forgive others the evil they've done. Maybe your dad abandoned you. Maybe your dad beat up on your mom. Or you cussed you out. Was not a, a nice guy. Oh, nowadays women are doing it too. They say to the guy, here, have the babies. I want to be CEO of Shell Oil Company or something. You know, and so they walk away from their kids. And it may be your mother in your case who said, you take care of the kids to hell with them. I don't want to have them. And you know, that happens. But God will help you to forgive even those who've done you great harm. And you know, it's so liberating. I know so many people, I can tell you stories, but the time is up. But you know, it's so good to, when a person forgives someone who hurt them, whether it's walking out on you as your husband or your wife or your dad or whoever, the Lord will help you to forgive. And you will be free again. You will fly again. You will laugh again. You will walk with God. That's why he went to the cross to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up your wounds. But you have to come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I need you so much. I'm beginning to understand the cross. Teach me more. But what I do understand, I kind of like. Please forgive me. Please come into my life and help me to forgive others and live free. Because the Bible says, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Indeed. And you'll be a free man and a free woman. You up there also. Yes, you will. I keep looking down here because I can see them. Uh, but uh, the fact is, the second thing is this. 
How God heals us, you know what it is? Is by coming to live within us. We become the temple of God. You realize that? Maybe you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I'm the ugliest guy in Oregon. It's worse somewhere else, but here it's pretty bad. You know, <laughs> I say, I hate myself. I don't look good. I'm terrible. My eyes are crooked. My smile is awful. My teeth are rotten. I don't have insurance. And you say, what an ugly person. The Lord says, I love you. I love you just as you are. But like a famous preacher once said, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. Aha, uh -huh. he will revolutionize you. Right now you don't know what the change will be like, but there'll be a change. So give him your heart, and it's all for the good, because he loves you with an everlasting love. That's one of the promises. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Even if you've cussed God out and said rotten stuff and blasphemed the name of God, he says, I still love you, oh boy, and I'm willing to forgive you. The third way, so the second way, he comes to live within you. You become the temple of God's spirit. He comes literally to you as a woman, to you as a man, as a guy, whatever your age. He will come in, and you become the temple of the living God. So even if nobody knows you in Oregon because you just came from Louisiana or something, and you're walking down the streets, and nobody knows you, but you can say, you don't know me, buddy, but I'm a temple of God. Uh-huh. You don't say it out loud or they'll think you're crazy. But, but you know you're true. You know it's true. You are the temple of the living God. And you'll notice, imagine, I said to the TV guy from Channel 8, I said, I try to introduce the poor to God. Because when they connect with God, things get revolutionary. And it is true. Even if you're rich, it's revolutionary. When you come to Christ, things change because he comes to live within you. He doesn't just say, you're forgiven, my child, run off, have fun. He says, I'm going to live within you, and he does. It's amazing. The third thing, he heals you and binds you with a church. People mock the church nowadays, all the great pagan saints, you know, the happy pagans, as the British call them, you know, mock the church, blah, blah, the church, blah, blah, blah. Listen, when you get cancer like I got, you suddenly realize, you know, the church isn't all that bad. People love me. Hey, I meet them in restaurants. Hey, Louis, I heard you got cancer. <laughs> I get too many, too many kisses and, and too many good wishes and so on. The church is much better than people make it out to be. And a church like this one, like you guys, I mean, I walk in and already you sense the presence of the Lord, the happiness, all of you talking to each other and hugging each other and singing and you can joke on the pastor and he takes it. You know, I mean, it really is, is amazing. And, but the church is one way where God heals the broken heart. So don't run away. That would be, I use a word my wife told our boys never to say, that would be stupid. You know, you walk away from the church, you're working away from one of God's ways of healing the brokenhearted and binding your wounds. The church isn't perfect. I know you are. But the rest of the guys are not. And uh, so <clears throat> the church, nevertheless, is not a beauty pageant. The church is a hospital emergency room. People come into the church, like if you go to St. Vincent's, which is our hospital on the west side. I was there for seven hours waiting for my wife to be taken care of about a month ago. And the drunks come in, and guys bleeding come in, and half 
uh, come in, you know, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's, that's the church. It's an it's a emergency room where a lot of people come with pain and others around begin to. I was watching the nurses and the front desk people at St. Vincent's, how nice they were to these guys. Some were loud and swearing, uh, you know, who knows what they were onto. But they, they were so nice to them. The church is the same, and the church is part of God's healing your broken heart and binding up your wounds. So, the second group is this, what I call, what Jesus said, forget me, Jesus said, the Son of Man, listen to this, came to seek and to save those who were lost. Are you lost? Now, when you say lost to someone, you think, oh, you think I'm the worst person in Portland? You may be, for all I care. But yeah, there can only be one worst person, so you're probably not one of them. But the fact is, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. It wasn't by accident that the Lord Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross with a criminal on his left and a criminal on his right. The Lord was telling us something. They were both mocking the Savior. They both insulted him. But one of them switched. That's called repentance. Suddenly he changed. He'd been mocking Jesus just like his buddy, the two criminals. But one of them suddenly changes his attitude. And he says to the master, Jesus, just remember me when you come in your kingdom. Obviously, he'd heard a little something about Jesus. And the Lord, instead of insulting him, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I came looking for you, buddy. Among many others, I was looking for you. You were repenting. You're asking me to remember you. Of course I'll remember you. Why do you think I died on this cross? Today we'll be together in paradise. How about that, huh? Are you falling asleep on me? No? All right. Remember it. If you feel you're lost. And you know, lost people doesn't mean you're the worst person in town. To be lost, what does it mean? That you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be. That's what it means to be lost. You're supposed to be in the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be, listen, a child of God. You're supposed to be in companionship with God. You're supposed to be a friend of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. But if you're not there, you're lost. Not because you're so terribly bad. I'm sure you're bad enough, but not so terribly bad. But the Lord says, I came to rescue you. You're lost. You're somewhere you're not supposed to be. Come, let me lead you back where you belong. You belong as a child of my Father. You, you, you belong in the kingdom of God. You belong living a glorious life. You belong living a victorious life. Not perfect until we get to heaven, but he wants you to have a glorious life on planet Earth as well as when we get to heaven. So when the scripture said, as a lady in Florida, she was a Canadian and uh, was a young gal, she went to, I think, Jamaica, and uh, an older man who was a widower uh, had a big hotel, and she was probably a pretty good looking. Now she's 80, so it's hard to tell. But, uh, you know, <laughs> apparently she was good looking. And the old boy who owned the hotel kind of put his eye on the Canadian. He was a widower, as I remember the story. And he kind of won her over. Now she's been a widow whew, forever. But uh, she dresses well. If she walked in here tonight, you would say, Whoa, who's that? You know, I mean, she's good, well dressed, that is, uh, at, at her age. But you know, one day we were at a conference, 
in a nice place in Florida. And she called up my wife and me and said, can I talk to you personally? And so we said, yeah. So she brought, brought her to the hotel room and she said, you know, I believed in God all my life and I live a pretty decent life. I've never really cheated anyone. I'm blessed, I got lots of money. I have friends at the club and this and that. But I don't have the assurance of eternal life. I feel like I'm lost. She says, I go to the Episcopal Church here in whatever it is, and uh, uh, I can't remember, that's why I'm not telling you. Uh, I, uh, so he said, uh, I go to the church and I listen to what the priest says, and I kind of like what I hear, but I, it doesn't mean anything to me. And so we explained to her, it's a simple step. She said, I'm lost. I love that phrase because that's what Jesus said. I come to seek and to save those who are lost. So she said, I'm lost. So she wasn't a wicked woman. She's a very decent lady. She said, me an Easter card. How much nicer can you get? You know, and uh, so she's a fine lady, but she was lost. And so we explained to her, and we got on our knees by the coffee table in the hotel room, and she invited Jesus Christ into her life. She's changed completely. Now, she always dresses so immaculately. I don't know where she buys her clothes. I wouldn't wear them, but nevertheless, you know, it really is impressive. So we had a festival in Washington, D.C. Our son Andrew and his wife organized it. And the first day, it was raining cats and dogs. And she came, and uh, she always wears fancy shoes, fancy everything, hairdo, the whole thing. We were staying at a hotel in Washington, and uh, it was raining cats and dogs, and she wanted to counsel young people, it was mostly teenagers, all the adults disappeared in the rain. And the mud was big time mud. She buys a pair of Nike shoes, nothing cheaper than that, and uh, puts them on, takes off her high heels, and she goes. I don't think she's ever worn Nike in her life, you know, <laughs> beneath her dignity. And uh, she goes in the mud. It was raining cats and dogs. There weren't too many people, maybe 10,000. It was really rain. So I gave the invitation. Oh, no, wait, there was a skateboarders. You know, they're Christians too, some of them. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they were skating around. And he gave, the skater gave an invitation. If you want to receive Christ, come. And a bunch of kids did. This lady in her Nikes, not high heel, goes over. And many of the kids said, I want to talk to the lady with the big hair. You know, <laughs> and she loved it. But she was lost. And now she was found. Have you been lost? Or are you lost? And tonight, what happened? Oh, the phone. Oh, whatever, yeah, microphone. Uh, can you hear me still? Yeah, that's. Anyway, what I told you that is this. She had been lost, but now she was guiding junior hires to meet Jesus Christ. And that's what God will do in your life. Not only will he bring you into his family, he'll begin to use you because he came to seek and to save those who are lost. If you're lost tonight, and you know if you're lost, you don't know where you're going, you don't know why you're here, you wonder what the point of your life has been. Come to him. He will rescue you. He will come into your life. He will come inside you. And he will guide the rest of your years. You won't be perfect, but you will be different for the better. And then finally, why did Christ go to the cross? Why? First, to heal the brokenhearted and bind your wounds. Second, he went so that he could seek and find all those who were lost. But thirdly, it says, St. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter something or other, it says, Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, listen to this, 
in place of the unrighteous, so that he may bring you to God. The reason Christ died on the cross, he wants you to come to God. He wants to bring you to God. That's what it says. Christ died for sins once for all. Here comes the key line. The righteous in place of the unrighteous. The just in place of the unjust. He's the just one. We are the unjust. He died for us. I said it before, but I should say it again. On that cross, the Lord Jesus cried out. You remember? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew why. It was a rhetorical question for our benefit. Why? Because he died for you and for me. He was, the word is, substitute. He paid what you should have paid. He suffered what you and I should have suffered. He paid it all on the cross. And so tonight he says, I want to bring you to God. And if you are not near God, tonight is your opportunity as a man, as a woman, as a teenager, whatever your age, whoever you are, the Lord says, come, let me take you to God. And you know, being taken to God means two things. One, I've already made the point. I'll just repeat it. He comes to live within you, and he is God the Son. And therefore, when he comes into your life, you are with God. And God is with you, and he is in you by his Holy Spirit. Hey, what a revolution happens when that happens. But the second thing is this, and me with my cancer and my sweet doctors uh, telling me exactly how many months I got left, uh, I, the, he wants to bring you to God when you die to go to heaven. You know, I've been studying a lot about heaven. It's a very interesting subject. It's all over the Bible. One of the things I discovered, but I should have known it before, but yeah, I rediscovered it, that in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which is worth reading over and over till you begin to get it. It'll take a while. It's one of the most difficult ones. So when you get old, you begin to get it a little more. And, uh, but it says, every one of the 14 songs mentioned in the book of Revelation mentions the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, and the creation that God has done, the creation, you and I, and all of creation. But the cross and the blood of Christ are the center of the worship on the, on, in heaven. Because without that, we'd all go to hell. I always tell young people, old-timers don't get it, but the youth do. Yeah, when you die, there's two airports. And in the English language, they both start with the letter H. The recommended airport is heaven. The other one, not recommended. All the planes crash land and get on fire. It's called hell. And it's not a, hell is not a thing to frighten little boys and make them obey. Hell is a desperate place where people go who refuse Jesus Christ. So, I may not be back here, but I don't want you to forget this from a dying old 84-year-old man, man. Choose to go to heaven because that's why Jesus Christ came to the cross of Calvary. He said to the man, today you will be with me in paradise. That night, the thief died, and the Roman soldiers made sure they were dead by breaking their legs. One of them went to H, heaven. The other one apparently went to H, hell. And that's not swearing, and that's not a threat. It's just reality. Justice demands it. So, I beg you, men, women, grandpas and grandmas, boys and girls, 
If you have a broken heart tonight, the Savior from the cross says, he said it to the women, O women of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Come to Christ. Come to him tonight. Come to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Change me. Come in. If you feel lost, disoriented, spiritually, not knowing why you're here, where you're going, how you got here, come to Christ. He will guide you. You'll begin to listen to his word. You'll begin to learn what he teaches, and you'll be so changed, you won't believe it. And then thirdly, if you want to meet God, you've come to the right place. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, when he was on the cross, I, I can't lift up this arm, it hurts, but imagine it. Uh, he died like this, with his arms wide open, as if saying to you, my child, give me your heart, give me your heart. Perhaps you've heard of Matt Redman. He's written some of the songs that we sing in worship, like 10,000 Reasons and uh, Oh No, You Never Let Go, some of those songs. He was a 10-year-old boy in London, England, and we were having a festival for 15 weeks in a football stadium. And when he was a 10-year-old boy, his mother brought him. We don't know why, because she wasn't really a churchy woman. And they had told him that his father had died when he was seven years old. And that night, I happened to be talking about God being our father, and what a wonderful father he is, how he loves us, how patient he is, how he takes care of us, how he answers our prayers, how he guides our life. And Matt, 10 years old, who had a knack for writing poetry and then beautiful worship songs, said, boy, that's the father I want. My father died when I was seven, and he beat up my mom, and he would get drunk and insult me and call me all sorts of nasty names. And then he died. Only when he was 16 did somebody tell him that his dad had taken his own life. His mother remarried, and the second husband was just as violent and, as, as he was. He's told the story publicly, so I'm not disclosing secrets. And you know, he, he gave his life to Christ, and he became one of the most beautiful worship leaders in the world. He's got a fabulous wife, five children, singing happily to the Lord. But he had a very sad background. But he gave his life to Christ that night, and his life was revolutionary. So tonight, Friday night, Good Friday, when we remember the cross of Jesus Christ, and also because you can't talk about the cross without talking about the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, and he's here. And if you have a sensitive heart and a sensitive conscience, you know that he's speaking to you. So I'd like to invite all of you, dear friends, those of you who belong to Christ, worship him all weekend long, afresh. I'm sure you do it all the time, but do it again. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, why don't you give him your life tonight? You'll never forget it. What is it, the 19th today? Yeah, 19th of April of 2019. And you look back and say, you know, in that old church, Christ came into my life, and I'm a new person because I invited him in trusted him, and he became my God, my Savior, my guide, my comfort, my healer, God, my Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, what do I have to do? All you have to do is sincerely bow your head before Christ and confess him that you've done wrong, admit that you've sinned, that you've gone off the track, that you've done stuff you're embarrassed about, and you want him to forgive you. 
and say, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for me. You said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I pray, forgive me tonight. And you know, you leave this place dancing on one foot. You'll be so excited. You know God. You're not lost anymore. Your wounds are being healed. You're a new man. You're a new woman. I tell you, you'll want to sing. Even if you're not a good singer, go ahead and sing. Because it's a good thing to praise Jesus Christ. So, how can I help you to receive Christ? The best way I've been able to do it in many countries of the world is to lead you in a prayer. And those of you up there, those of you down here, who tonight say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to experience this kind of a life that he's offering. If you feel that way, let me guide you in a prayer, okay? I'll lead you in a prayer. And if you feel it in your heart, you pray out loud with the rest of the crowd. And let's all pray together. I'll tell you what, let's all pray together. Those of you who know Christ, it's a prayer of thanksgiving, okay? okay. How many of you know Christ? From the noise, it's 50-50. No, no, that's, that's yeah. But uh, if you know Christ, join us in a prayer of thanks. But if tonight you say, Louis, I want to know him. I want to, you pray this prayer, okay? And this is what he says, and we're praying in a sec. I stand at your door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. That'll be the moment that you start life all over. Your broken heart begins to be healed. Your sense of lostness, you're on back on track. And you come to know God and know where you're going when you die. Live him joyfully here, and when the time comes, like I'm pretty close to, you know where you're going. You're going to be with Jesus, which is better by far.